This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve. Go ahead and play it back, you ain't gonna touch me, you not gonna do nothing, you are not above me, I bet you wish you was me, I know it, I know. What is poppin' everybody? And welcome back to another special episode of the Only Friends Podcast. Well, you know, I'm here with my only friends. And you know that includes my boy, Tortu! What's poppin', folks? What's happening? Berkey's trying his hardest, you know. He's trying to run. He's trying to ruin die the bay because he like he got he brought up. I couldn't find today. I couldn't find my shaker today. Yeah, he tried to hide it from me. Yeah, he tried to hide my shaker from me today, and then I found it. Yep. And now he's trying to do this thing Mm -hmm. again where he's like, you know, I didn't try to hide anything. I, I mean, I've been walking the dog shirtless, but did I get tan as fuck? What what's going on here? No, no. Good lighting. No, nope, we're not going to give you this one, man. You're not olive, looking man. Fresh. Yeah, the olive skin coming back again. Uh, I not olive. Olive skin. I am olive as fuck. Look, look at old man's white ass, and tell me who's olive. I'm I olive, mean, Brian man. looks pretty olive compared to me. I'm from the me. land of olives. <laughs> <laughs> you are an olive. That's right. Um, kind of shaped like one. Yeah, I, I can't believe you tried calling you. I can't believe you tried calling you white when you're sitting next to me. Yeah, you know, because exactly. you have like an actual color palette reference. <laughs> <look tan. laughs> the inside of Landon's arms really do look neon. <laughs> Honestly, we're gonna have to get you some powder. We turn the light up so fucking high to make you not washed out that it starts to beam off of your forehead. I think I might just get really tan this. Are you though? How, yeah. How do you do that? Really tan since you were fourteen. Since going I was to the LHS gonna, pool. Yeah, that's right. Every how day. do you? How do you even do that? I walked you, to the. You, I walked you to and from the, the gym. A lot. I walked to and from the gym for an hour and I got sunburned. Yeah, you yeah got, but, he got no, burnt yesterday for sure. I got sure. burned. Right. Well, some people just can't. Yeah. I just you know you, you, you gotta it. you gotta accept your weaknesses. When you start with the olive skin, Shut the fuck. You, yeah, you got the olive. You got the olive base. Yes, us us Italians tan We Italians. I mean, Hunt can't even go outside, right? Like, no, without... no, he'll he'll burst right into flames. It, it actually, <laughs> all things considered, it actually is remarkable that Hunt chose Las Vegas, Nevada yeah. as his place of residence. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like the sun is a very scary thing to me. Moving to the desert, well, well it's not that know? bad most of the time, right? It's only bad like now. No, and, it. Uh, I mean, you know, it's hot here most of the year. Now it's nice. In three months from now, or two months. Three from now, months. Two months. Three weeks. Yeah. Three yeah. weeks. It's, it's, it's April thirteenth. So. I think in a month we're fucked. Yeah, yeah we skipped month. right over spring. That's that's it's gone. It's only in the seventies today. It's nice. Today's beautiful out for yeah. sure. But the SOP is only like forty five days away. I, know. I think you can register, right? I saw that. I saw I saw somebody post a meme about like people walking uh, on their way to the registration line today because you can register for stuff. Man, I used to get so fucking pumped for the WSOP. Yeah, why, now you're just withered, man. Why, why do I just not? I don't have it in me anymore. Same the reason why you hate the tortue a bit. You're just withered, yeah. man. Right. You got <laughs> to get back. You gotta, like, Am I withered or is the man who's going to play 75 events withered? You just need to find your soul. That's no, your no, problem. no. You can't do that because when you were me, you used to play a lot of events. Yeah. You can't no, talk. I never did. That's the thing. What? My, my first full schedule was 2013 and I played 24 events. What did you do prior? Just played cash? I mixed cash in tournaments. I would play like eight events a year. Ooh. Bro, it was Who's expensive, this man. man. <laughs> it was fucking expensive for a 1020 grinder to go out and just fire 100K worth of events. Still expensive. That's yeah, true. We didn't yeah. do that shit. No. Nobody sold. I just had 100% of everything. 
You rip one off. Well, and then all of a sudden... isn't it uh, the first time you had a full series? You did very, very well. Yeah, I had three final tables, cash for a half a million. Sounds like you should have just done that earlier. You weren't going into that <laughs> series thinking you were playing a full series. You got like a five k loan, right? No, uh, I I got a five k loan at the at the start of the year because I was broke, and I final table to win event got fourth for like thirty thousand like immediately thereafter. Managed to carry that into the summer, so I had like you know thirty k going to the World Series or something like that, and I sold a package to Mad Marvin Rettmeyer. Uh, ironically enough, I'm, I'm very good friends with Jason Somerville, and he and um, uh, oh my god, Vivek were were buying up packages everywhere, and I hit him up, but I think I hit up whoever they had like managing the stable or whatever, and asked them if they wanted to buy. And I had it like marked up to like 1.25 or whatever. And they didn't even negotiate. They were just like, no. And then I saw Jason like heading into the main after I had like final table three events and cash 500. He's like, why didn't you sell to me? <laughs> and I was like, bro, I hit you up. <laughs> you showered the fuck out of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Marvin, I, I sold 70% uh, of the package to Marvin. It was like a 100K package or something like that. Final table, like event three, the 3K6 max, I think, got third for like 200. Nice. And then asked him if I could buy 20 back. So I ended up having half of myself for the next final table. And then the last final table was a 5K. So I was only sold 3Ks and below. Mm-hmm. It was a 5K, uh, 8 max. And uh, I had played the 5K, 6 max earlier on my own dime because Marvin showered me. Okay. And so I didn't even ask him if he wanted a piece of this one. I just had 98%. Nice. Ripped it off <laughs> to like 180. Yeah. I wasn't around to have that extra 2%. Yeah, Berto, <laughs> Berto, the guy who loaned me the 5k at the beginning of the year had the 2% yes. fucking love Berto yeah, we got him back it's so crazy that I know Berto from a, like another world it is crazy actually like, <laughs> my head. How, do you, how do you know Berto you just knew him so he moved out here in like 2010 maybe uh, no I was living with Dan must have been 2011 and uh his backstory is wild. I would love to have him on. He's a cuz like. He is a cuz like figure. <laughs> How hard would, would it be to get Berto on the podcast? Easy for a call in, but like we really. You want him in on set? I would love you need him to on have set. him in person. Yeah. He seems like an on set kind of guy. Yeah. 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 I need to get him out here. Uh, it's been a long time since he visited. He got married recently and like just has a whole other life. But Let's go, Berto. <laughs> he is such a fascinating character and he's like a bit camera shy and, you know doesn't understand how remarkable his past is but basically from like the time of 18 on he was just a a a hustler like just an nyc hustler so uh as a young kid he went to like all the major ballparks and would just try to befriend the athletes and get them to sign merch and then he quickly became (laughs) and uh, then he'd flip it yeah, he, he became. I, think I like this guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he became a guy in the in the like trading card industry and uh, the merch industry and all this other stuff. So he would build these relationships with like Strawberry, Gary Sheffield. He tells this story. I mean, he'll never tell these on air because they're wild. But like, he tell, you tell it. He tells this story about like about like Strawberry and Doc, uh, where like Berto's with them on the road. Like you know, a lot of like what he would do for them would just be like what we would consider to be a PA type of stuff now. But like, you know, in the eighties with Doc Good and Dwight or and Daryl Strawberry, like, you're not a normal PA, you know, you're like you're PA there, plus. You're like out there <laughs> fucking hustling up girls and, and all kinds of other shit, right? But he tells this story and it's a wild story that like, you know, ends up with debauchery in a hotel room. But the the best part of the, the detail the best detail of the story is that Gary Sheffield's there as uh, 
I believe he's Doc Gooden's either godson or nephew or something like that, as a 15-year-old. <laughs> so, so Chef is just like in this wild fucking environment at the age of 15 as, you know, a future borderline Hall of Famer himself. <laughs> Just like getting raised up in the, but yeah. So anyway, like Berto's whole backstory is, um, you know, he was in the trading card industry, eventually like befriended Pete Rose, became Pete Rose's number one for like a couple decades uh, until, you know, the whole scandal fallout with betting on baseball and shit like that. Uh, they had a falling out. Um, like there was a, there was an ESPN movie, man, this must've been like the early 2000s. I can't remember the name of it, but it was a reenactment of the Pete Rose uh, scandal or whatever and there's a guy in there <laughs> Berto's so pissed about this they got they got someone in the movie to play Michael Bertolini <laughs> but it's a Spanish guy <laughs> what the fuck is going on here bro I'm fucking Italian they got this fucking Spanish guy playing me <laughs> that's so fucking wait wait weird. how do you know Berto so I know Berto because we'll call it a 510 game I used to deal this like uh, this would have been before he moved to Vegas yeah, so yeah. this would have been 2008, 2009. I used to deal this, like, we'll call it a 2 five, 10 game, but it was really, like, probably bigger than any 10-20 game in, on the strip right now. But, like, it was just absolutely insane. And Berto was one of the players that would come and play every week, a couple times a week maybe. And he'd pull up in his fucking purple charger. Oh, so, no, this was after Vegas then. Yeah. This, well, this must have been, like, 2014, 2015. Oh, no, uh, it was right before you moved here for sure 20 it had to be like 2012 2011 like mm, okay end, of, end of 2012 is when he left vegas so it had to be then but he bought that charger here he okay. drove it back to new york okay so he used to pull up in this fucking purple charger right and when he gets out my man has one of these fucking um what do you call those shirts like a it's like a polo shirt i guess with a pocket in it and every single time he walked up in that game, he had fucking 20K <laughs> sitting yeah. out of his pocket. <laughs> just hanging. Yeah. And I can't do Berto's voice, but like he'd come in the room wild, just like in a, in a really good mood, always like uplifted the room. And I loved him for that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, he's a good dude. So uh, I, I didn't quite finish like how I came in contact with him, but <clears throat> he moved here probably, I guess, like late 2011 and stayed till the end of 2012. Maybe it was like late 2010, stayed till the end of 2012. And he would like, play a lot of the games that I played in. But the whole reason he played poker was to try to meet people and make connections. In networker. Yeah, so like post the the whole Pete Rose stuff, he ended up becoming Joe Montana's manager. Uh he has a good working relationship with like Bill Parcells. You know, he's just like really dialed into the sporting uh the sporting world, right? And he would come and he would socialize and network and like, you know, I remember he played a uh, 100 200 game in Bobby's room which at the time was mind-blowing to me because you know i had never played bigger than 10 20. he's in there with like manny pacquiao like <laughs> he's just dusting off 30 or 40k trying to get manny's number and like you know do some business with him or whatever you could call him a sports assistant specialist yeah he's really great at networking he's yeah, he he's capable of doing things that like are just so uncomfortable to me but he'll get any fucking number mm. like he's just so good at it he's so it really is. He's just impossible to dislike. Yeah. No, honestly, like I didn't even describe the atmosphere of that game too. Like it was nothing but you know there was a lot of shady characters in yeah, this game, sure. <laughs> and you'd have fucking Berto just pull up and just he's just does the life. He's just yeah. always fun, always having a good time. So I got to know him at the time. I was playing ten twenty, ten twenty forty, and he would just come and sit 
you know, in hopes of like, you know, like sometimes Nelly would play, Phelps had played a bit. Oh, so he would literally just hope that someone in a professional environment would play high yeah, stakes he poker. Also, he also was a gambler. He also liked poker. And really liked yeah. poker. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, like he was a degen for quite some time. Uh, he dusted a lot of money while he was in Vegas. But um, so I got to know him and like he was just really good at neutralizing tough players and he identified me as tough pretty quickly and he would try to have these conversations with me and I knew he was a fucking whale. So I was just like, shut him down. Like, I'm not going to be friends with the whale. That's not how this works because I know what happens. I get soft played afterwards. Right. And he expects the same in return. And then one day he's just at my house bringing us all fucking Chinese food. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I guess that's it. Like, I'm never going to make him. And what had happened was, the reason why he ended up at the house was he was he had been bugging me to like hang out and swap numbers and everything else. And I was like really cold. I was icing him. And then one day we were playing uh, 5 10 20 at the, this rotating game that was on coast. And I had aces versus kings. And he like lost no money, like didn't three bet me pre, like just folded to a C bet post face up or some shit like that. And I was just like, okay, it's, it's over. I'm never making any money off this guy again. I may as well become his friend. Yeah. Honestly, like best he's decision. He's left you no choice. Yeah. Honestly, best decision I ever made. Yeah, I was going like, to say he's, he was, I'm sure way more valuable to you as a friend than he was uh, a not even with the like game. the things that he could do it's just like I'm no, so I happy mean, I actually got right, to know that's him that's what I mean just like his, the value of his friendship yeah. yeah like his character and you know his past is, mm-hmm. is so remarkable to me yeah. um, and there were just like so many weird and funny moments throughout uh, like he's the one who introduced me to Phelps who ultimately hated me I've told that story <laughs> before on this podcast why did he hate you? because I show Berto hits me up he goes you want to play this 1-2 game with Phelps and I'm like, fuck yeah. He's like, all right, it's like him, his boy Jeff Gross, uh, Carter, or um, uh, McLean. Uh, I can't remember his first name right now, but uh, he had just like one bait 101. So he was there, and Helmuth was there. And there was a bunch of like, you know, whatever, fill ins in between. Phil's always there. He's always Phil's there. always there, bro. So I show up and I sit down and I'm like, what's everybody buying in for? And, you know, everybody's big dicking in, even though it's a one two game. Everybody's sitting like 3K effective. I'm like, I'll big dick it with you guys. Like, I want to have fun too. You know, let them know that I got a little, little riz in me. Uh-huh. So I sit with like 5K and I just bluff Phelps the very first hand. We like four bet the flop on like Queen 8 4, where I have like eight, seven of spades. It's Queen 8 4, two spades. And I'm just like, wow, you know, he probably just wants to gamble. Like, how bad a shape can I be in here? So I <laughs> Not like, very bad shape at all. Yeah. So he like, I like check raise flop. He three bets me and I just like four bet rip. And he just smashes the cards into the muck. And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> what have I done? You made him mad. I made him mad. And I like stack him a couple orbits later, like Kings versus overpair, like Queens or Jacks or something like that. And I'm just like, oh no. So when that game ends, uh, he goes around the room we were playing it at the Palms and Palms had like uh, this big nightclub rain and he just goes around the table. He's like, you coming to rain? You coming to rain? You coming to rain? You coming to rain? rain?" Birdo's right next to me. He gets to Birdo. He's like, coming to rain? And they're all like, yeah, you know, whatever. He gets to me and he just turns away. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, nah. I'm like, fuck. You want your money back, man? (laughs) (laughs) I just want to meet Michael Phelps, man. What the hell's going on here? That's yeah. It is tough to kind of navigate that relationship where it's like you want to play and still win poker and hourly, but also at the same time be kind of cool. But you never know how someone's going to take it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. someone just might go over the moon in a spot with. To you, it's normal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of a good segue into like what uh, one of our main talking talking points today is is just like you know being. Uh, an entertaining character at the table. I thought being super splashy in that moment 
was what they wanted. I knew I wasn't welcome there, right? Like just on my merit alone, just being some random professional poker player that only the three other pros at the table know. Phil didn't know me at the time for sure. Uh, you know, Berto's vouching for me. Uh, McLean and Gross probably knew of me, but like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just an online grinder at that point to them. Like that would be the only way they would know me is just from like my online presence. Um, and Phelps, no way he fucking knew who I was. Like no shot in hell. So it's like, I know that on my merit alone, I'm not welcome there. I need to do something. So I'm just like, well, I'll throw a fucking party. I'm literally playing any two. Like, you know, I'm, I'm splashing, I'm, I'm pushing, I'm redlining. I'm like doing everything that I think would make for a good fun environment. But when you win while doing that, you're now just an asshole. Yeah. Right. You're trying to lose fun. But you try. You're, it's weird because you're trying to win. I'm but just you, trying to gamble. If you, yeah. if Phelps had like call it top set in that spot, called and then won. Yeah, you had to just voice. Right. It looked like sure. you were like trying to give action and be splashy and make the game fun, but you were just running it over. Especially which is if not, you're a pro. Right. My right. favorite Michael Phelps story is that when he got busted with that bong, it was Carter King. So yeah. That's facts. <laughs> it was Carter. That is facts. Yep. That's the absolute oh, best. I don't know any of these stories, man. I feel so left out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he was really entrenched in the poker community for a while there. Mm -hmm. Phelps was? Yeah. yeah. Uh, like, big time. Uh, the second time I met him was, uh, I've told this too, but it was at the Brigada on my birthday, and we're playing together, and he's just, like, icing me, and I, I just, like, you know what, what, I'm just gonna fucking say it. I'm like, hey, you hate me? <laughs> <laughs> Yo, we're not friends, right? <laughs> he just kind of was like, I did. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, it was like, uh, but it's like, Squash, I've been following you online, I see that you're a really good player, like, Come out to the club with us tonight. So he invites me out to he, Murmur. He says, you, you going to rain? I, I think it was Murmur. <laughs> sure. but it was yeah. Murmur at the time, yeah. Uh, you fucking showered it, didn't you? No, no, no. No, we went. We he, went. Was trying to get, he was trying to get Berkey to do shots, right? Oh, no, man, I was like, so yeah, now it's just like, this. it's like, hey, you know, invite you out. Like, come on out. Now he's just like, come on, man, let's do a shot. And Berkey's like, nah, I don't drink. He's like, come on, it's your birthday. You got to do it. He's like, nah, he's like, oh, that's going to hate me again. It was so bad. It was so bad. So USC Fildo, Phil Collins, who was friends with Carter and like, they all went to USC together. That's how they knew Phelps. He was with us. And, you know, that was kind of like the bridge between all of us. So we're out at Murmur and uh, yeah, he's like trying to, you know, have a birthday shot for me or whatever. And I'm like, no, 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 like legit. I've never drank. He's like, bullshit, bullshit. Take this shot right now. So I grab it and I like fling it over my shoulder and he catches me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, God damn it. I was like, Lamanna like jumped in and ran interference. He's like, I'll do it. I'll do it for him. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then, uh, at the same time, oh, go to so Gavin Smith was there also. RIP Gavin, man. He was one of my most Smooth favorite, call. one of my favorite humans on earth. Like people who didn't get the opportunity to like truly get to know him outside of like his TV persona and, you know, just being the caveman Ooga Booga or whatever. You really missed out on an incredible human. Uh, I, I can remember many times where. Before my time. It is. Yeah. Really good tipper, by the way. He used to come to my bar all the time. Really? Yeah. Really I mean, nice guy. The guy drank like a oh, yeah. lot. <laughs> he would get ripped at the fucking World Series and just drive on his Harley home to fucking Pahrump, which was like an hour away. And, you know, I'm not trying to celebrate that, but like this guy was such a genuine person, man. Like I remember, I can't remember what had uh, led to it, but there was something I was dealing with uh, 
it, it was i think it was like before the whole polk thing but i remember being at bay 101 i don't remember if it was like something something that had to do with me getting scammed out of money or something like that but i remember him calling me and just being like look man this is all complete bullshit like i know what you're going through yada 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 and it's like he didn't have to do that we had just met maybe a year prior just such a genuine guy but uh this was one of the first times i met him and we're at this club at, at, in ac or whatever and he is blacked the fuck out <laughs> i mean gonzo there's this like you know you get these like vip booths or whatever and it's just gavin spread eagle just hanging out for the whole world to see <laughs> he, he and all his friends can't can't put a word together his eyes are barely open i'm just like this is gonna be a good time it's strange. I, I i i do remember that night but it's very foggy yeah well yes. you were doing all my shots yeah, probably why. so it probably had something to do mm -hmm. with it I think the AFC Championship was shortly thereafter. Whatever you <laughs> stole that man's wife. Hey, he stole gave, a man's wife during the me. AFC Championship. <laughs> what? He stole a man's wife during no. the AFC Championship. We went to a Jets bar in Caesars at AC. Are we gonna tell every story we already told on this bike? Yes. <laughs> I mean, yes. Well, Chicago isn't here, obviously. We uh, went to a Jets bar in in Caesars Atlantic City. Uh, Lamanda just blacked the fuck out. The Steelers romped the fucking Jets, which we were thrilled about. Yep. And there was like, <laughs> there was this couple there, and I just look at Lamanna's dancing with his wife. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, let's go, we gotta get the fuck out of here. And he's looking at me, he goes, he asked me to. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you don't know what people are into. Don't yuck his yum. Man, I really love like these throwback Thursdays. Oh, throwback man. It wasn't Thursday. intentional, but that's no. where we ended up. I know. That's usually how it happens. Uh, La was a fucking treat, man. Yeah. Those AC days were. I've never won there, but God damn it, do I have a lot of good memories. Yeah. I wish I had memories. <laughs> I can't remember I, shit. I got you, man. <laughs> that's, what Matt, that's what Matt's there for. Matt's like the uh, uh, historian. Yeah, I got this you. This is why we drink to forget. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think this is probably a good segue into uh, kind of the major talking point, the quote-unquote tough combos that are floating around the internet over the last couple of days. It all kind of began with the announcement of the Hustler Live million-dollar buy-in. And, uh, you know, before we kind of get into the weeds, I understand where people are coming from, specifically like uh, high-level pros like Brewer who kind of had the opinion of like, can we just get one guy in that represents <laughs> we just need one yeah like can we just get one guy in there who like represents what an elite poker player give us looks big like? mike baby get adamo in there yeah so he's like you know can we just one time let adamo play one of these million dollar cash lineups would make the game so much more entertaining for viewers and i understand where he's coming from specifically because this is such rare air when you're talking about the buy-in level when you're talking about the stakes at play uh it really is kind of uh, a peel back of the curtain of like what's happening privately in a lot of places. Um, but to counter Brewer's point, Adamo's not playing in Ivy's room either whenever these games used to run back in the day. Uh, and they didn't necessarily lack top pros. It just might not be the top pros that you want to see. Like, you know, a guy like Robo built a career off of getting these spots. Um you know, maybe JRB to a lesser point because he's more of the host with the most than he is uh, an elite professional. But like, you know, his entire career is based off of having a lot of these soft spots. And then finally, I think like whether it's Triton or, uh, you know, some other uh, really high stakes, call it European type cash games, we do get to see this a bit. One of the biggest cash game pots ever played initially was between Kuhn and... Kane Callis. Uh, Kane Callis, yeah. 
where uh, I think it ended up being a 2 million euro pot, something along those lines. Big pot poker. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like we got to, we, we got to see it. And like, that was amazing. That was fascinating. It was a different product. It, it, you know, all of the diehards like Brewer, myself, whatever, we all tuned into that. We all know the hands. Um, it, it, was, it was a great mix of high-level elite professionals and, and you know, recreationals who want to want to fight yeah because in most cases the high level professionals would not want to play a very very high stakes game if it was only full of other high stakes professionals that's how much win rate do you really have there you right. know because i saw gordo put a tweet out where he said i don't know if i'm out of touch i don't know if it's just me but i personally like seeing the best of the best end up playing as well call it in the old school high stakes poker-esque type of thing yeah where they were considered the best pros in the game with also some action gamblers where now it's just, okay, people from a number standpoint just want to see very big pots with a lot of action. doesn't really matter who it is or what skill level is going on. Just someone gets aces versus Kings versus Kings for an 800 K pot. I want to watch that. I kind of think it's, it kind of um, goes back to who you are as a person. So if you're a professional poker player and you can see yourself playing at the biggest stakes, you want to see good poker because that's where you want to be. If you are in there for entertainment wise, you want to see the, the fun, you know, and like that's you can see yourself at the, the fun table as well, like playing big pots. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good point. I also think that uh, TV has really well, first of all, the game has expanded so vastly compared to what we watched in the early 2000s. In what sense? Like it, with streaming and uh, just it, yeah in the sense of like what it takes to be quote unquote qual a qualified professional when we were watching in like 03 to 2008 ish while high stakes poker went on its big run um there weren't many notable household names got it right and it wasn't like it wasn't like the argument was any different then when uh when we tuned into those early seasons of high stakes poker would you rather, in hindsight, would you rather watch Brad Booth or would you rather watch Phil Gelfond, right? Or Durr or, and maybe Durr's a poor example because he kind of did break down that barrier. Uh, but the reality is that there was, uh, it was a privilege to play in that environment and to have a shot at playing with Guy or, uh, you know, some of these other massive spots. Uh, and the truth of the matter is it wasn't the best of the best talent on display, at least not in the earlier seasons, right? Yeah, Ivy was there. Yeah, Dean Eggs was there. Um, but in hindsight, like, was Barry Greenstein one of the best professionals around in 2005? Probably not. Doyle? Probably not, right? We're just paying homage to years past. These are the guys who, who really got us to that point. And they deserve a soft seat, you know? Mm. Mattisau, all of these guys, they played a lot of high-stakes poker. Helmuth, right? Like, were they, were they the cream of the crop at the time? Probably not. It was probably these young, up-and-coming online professionals. Yeah, to Brewer's point, even when that's the case, there was still a seat for Ivy. Yes. Sense? So, like, yes, there, there was fair. still that representative of the best of the best that the people that were trying to get good at poker could look up to. I think the difference is, is that Ivy had two things going for him. One, he stood alone. So it was just understood that of that 30-something collective, even compared to Daniel and Phil who were you know close in age with Ivy, maybe not so much Phil, Phil's a little bit older, but you get my point. Uh, Ivy stood alone. 
right? Like it was just uniformly believed amongst his peers that he was one of the best. So he stood alone and he became a feature piece for that reason. The second thing he had going for him was the the simple fact that he had Riz. Yeah. Like even Riz. though even though he wasn't that talkative, he there there was something very charismatic and mysterious about him, right? And Daniel had the same thing going for him in a very different a t- polar opposite kind of yeah, way. He's goofy, funny guy. He's very gregarious, right? Like he's the table talk, uh, keeping things chatty and loose. And but like watching Daniel lose was kind of painful. I think it was season four where he just got absolutely obliterated. With the whole like with, boat quads, with the quads yeah. against Gus. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So it's like uh, when we look back at that time, those guys still had something going for them that allowed them to stand apart from maybe uh, people who were comparable in skill. And a lot of it came down to just comfort, the ability to gamble, maybe even beyond their means, uh, and like some level of being established already in the arena. No slight to a guy like Gelfond, uh, or you know a lot of the other young pros who tried to break into high stakes poker. I know Mercier played it a lot. But they just, they were green at that point. You know? They, they didn't really fit in to what was happening at that table. And I think that's what we're seeing here now. Adama would just wouldn't fit in. Televised poker is different than high-level poker. In yes. the sense of entertainment value. Yeah. Well, high-level poker, you're not really worried about the entertainment value, but for television poker, you want people to actually enjoy what's going on, and it's not about that elitist type of level. You know? Right. Um, I mean, Bonomo's tough convo was pretty sick with that. My God, I haven't seen anything better on the internet this <laughs> so fucking year. Fucking Bonomo S tier, S tier, tough combo. I didn't expect it. I saw it and I'm like, oh no, this might be really bad. <laughs> but I gave it a chance and I was like, wow. I, I think that's where right, it ultimately fam. made tough it so time. good. Tough Bonomo cooked. And this one goes out to Dankness, Will Jaffe himself. He called me out recently for not being entertaining enough in Super High Roller tournaments. And I get it. You want to see Phil Helmuth threatening to burn the building down. You want to see Alan Keating punting off billions. You want to see Jungle Man dressed as Lizzo wearing full drag, singing her songs. It ain't my fault that I'm out here getting loose. Gotta blame it on the goose. Gotta blame it on my juice, baby. I'm not gonna lie, I'd pay good money to see that. It'd be super entertaining. But you want to know the truth? I'm just not good enough to do that. I'm out here grinding against the best players in the world, and they're not giving up much. I'm hoping to have a 2% edge. See, I'm not like you. I'm not playing 2-5 in Poughkeepsie against Pete the Plumber and Nancy of Nancy's Discount Tires. I'm not winning at 27 BB per 100. I wish I was. And I appreciate you looking out for me, giving me advice on how to steer my career. But I can't just do what you do. I'm making a living the only way I know how. I'm not as talented or as funny as you are. So I'm not gonna even attempt to end this on a joke. You're great, you're the king, and we're all just living in your world. Respect. Yeah, I mean, that was that was really great. Uh, and I think it really does speak to the difference of what a lot of these televised events are attempting to accomplish. We have to respect what's going on in the high stakes MTT arena, right? Like it really is, the best of the best where there is no uh, filtering process taking place. Like there's no barrier of entry outside of money and or skill, right? I know you want to be serious and all, 
But that man just said, I'm not playing 2-5 in Poughkeepsie with Pete the Plumber. Well, that's where I was going, that's, that's where I was going with this. When you're talking about cash, it, the, the, the point that he makes about, like, I'm not winning 27 BB per 100, I wish I were. That's a real thing, man. That is a real fucking thing. Like, I have a lot of data combing over the last 10 years of me playing nosebleeds. And, like, win rates are astronomical. Right? Like, you're disappointed to win under 10 big blinds per hour in a lot of these situations. Yeah, the best player in the pool in live cash is winning like 15 plus. Yeah, and a lot of times when you're talking about uh, it, having that filtering process where it's invite only and you have to bring forward these other quote-unquote soft skills in order to be a part of the, the club, right? It, it really is a curated club, so to speak. Yeah. And you have to be able to fit into the environment. You have to be able to bring something to the table outside of raw ability to play this game well and to solve problems in real time. The reward is getting this really high win rate, right? Yeah, and the opposite of that, so to speak, if you don't want to play the politics, is you play online. Like when you look at the stars, uh, 100, 200, or GG stuff now, you yeah. know, with the heads up battling and the reg battling. It's like, yeah, they're just always going to have tables and seats open. If you want to play, you can. But in a live environment, that's not like that. Right, and understandably, those guys are just aren't going to have the same soft skills. That's why I say like a Don, uh, uh, Adamo like just isn't going to naturally plug right into a hustler lineup that consists of Shamath, Blank Check Ben, Nick Airball, and Eric Persons. All you know, but he's going to play sparring. some high level poker. Right, he's going to do some shit, man. <laughs> Will he say a word? Probably not. But like, <laughs> he might he's, smirk. He's going to do some things that those of us that care about like unlocking the game tree, so to speak, are going to be wildly impressed by, or at least are going to say like, I need to look into that spot. Like that, that's interesting to me, but that's not the masses. That's not the populace, right? So that's not who hustlers targeting. Uh, their main, their main goal that they're trying to accomplish is have a lot of money, get funneled into the pot and be able to clip out hands where uh, the viewer can naturally see big hand versus big hand collision. Yeah. For many, 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 many dollars. Yeah, I think the way that you have the elite cash stream, if you will, is by the host of it giving an hourly. Agreed. Where you make it worth the pro's time. So if you want to have a lineup of six max cash with the best six max cash players you can find, you just pay them a certain amount per diem. And maybe they're all winning very small. Maybe some people winning a little bit more, a little bit less. But now there's incentive outside of just the game being played in order to show up. Because people would watch it, right? People oh, would yeah. want to watch six of the best cash game players in the world play high-stakes cash. Mm -hmm. But if there's no incentive, there's no point. Because if no, everyone thinks they're winning or losing one to two big blinds, they have other places to do that. I yeah. mean, but we do see it happen like on Triton streams and stuff like that. Like, they don't get incentivized to go play those games, and they're out there well, playing. Well, like, I think oh, well, they are still incentivized in the sense that the lineups are still pretty good. They're great. Yeah, I mean, oh yeah, you're right. Right. Like Paul, so like, that, I, forget, I forget about Paul. And that's like, yeah, still always going to be the rule. And, and hey, Paul's no slouch. No, no, right? no. Like, of course, but when you're playing for X amount of dollars, more and, importantly, whenever you're that good, like a Jason Kuhn, uh, you, you're just not getting invites in the games where you have a double-digit big yeah. blind per hundred win rate. So it's like you're really thrilled to sit in a mixed lineup where you're probably winning like six or seven big blinds per hundred. Yeah. That's a great fucking win rate. You know what I mean? Especially at those stakes. Yeah. yeah. It's so unheard it's like, of online. Right. So it's like. 
Paul Fu would probably come and mop the floor with most of these fucking televised lineups that we have here. No, of course. But he might be the weakest link in in those types of lineups. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know I, I mean? was more so looking at the sense of like if you get J- like Jason Kuhn times six and you right. get six Jasons, mm-hmm. okay, you pay them all a per diem. You have to. Right, yeah, and you then do have to. It'll be, great. it'll be great for poker. You know, the people that want to see high-level poker would watch it. And if you didn't, you still have the hustler streams and other streams of the entertainment value that are still fun to watch. Yeah, let's not let's not overlook the fact that uh, you know Brewer might just be right. We very well could be missing a, a, a star in the making in uh, Adamo, right? Sure. Like he might just show up there with a couple million in his pocket and just like run a bunch of fucking wild lines post. Where he just keeps sending it for a thousand blinds after the flop. But, you know, we also just might not see that. And we just might see him, you know, scratch his head whenever they're playing 1K, 2K, 4K, 8K, and it's six ways to the flop. Yeah, you never know, right? Because you've just never seen him in that environment. Yeah. But, you know, as Brewer said, let him cook, right? Let him in there. Maybe well, he does. Well, you don't want to let him cook and let him in there because, uh, and this is no slight against Michael because I, I think he's a truly fantastic player and he deserves everything that comes his way. Like he is, as well as everybody else in that high stakes arena has earned it. But like, you don't want the biggest winner to just like have a free seat for no good goddamn reason, win all the money and then ride off into the sunset. Sure. Yeah, that was what sure. they used Garrett for because they knew that he was a lifer. Right, like when you have this guy offering value in return to you for life, you'll give him a seat like this every now and again. Yeah. Or when you have a Keating who's like curating the best lineups in the world, uh, even though he he might be winning in this particular lineup, like you're happy to make that sacrifice, right? But you know, it's a far cry going from Adamo to to Keating. I mean, Keto, Keating wins when he wants to win. Maybe. <laughs> Right, maybe it's like, it just depends if he if he wants to you know play like a reasonable human or an insane person that day. Exactly. Yeah, um, I think that's the kind of the big point is kind of giving the minority what they want. It's like a very small amount could potentially hurt the entertainment value for the masses. Yeah. Right. Like you let Adama win and makes a couple of people happy. Other people that know that he's not even in there anyways are still really really it happy. Really, it really flips the script on the environment too. Uh, I don't want to speak for guys like Blank Check Ben and and Eric and you know everybody else who's ponying up a million dollars, but when you put a killer in there who is well equipped to just do his thing, there's a certain intimidation factor that comes with that, right? Like a lot of those guys spoke out about that uh, sort of heaviness that Garrett would bring to the table. I don't know how true that is. Like I played with Garrett plenty. He's a consummate professional. Like I, I never felt. I never felt like the environment was like sticky or, or tight because he was there. But I've also just, you know, played with him a bunch and, you know, I, I expect to be able to do my job. With Adamo, it's like he only plays the high stakes tournaments. We've seen him do some sick shit. Uh, and outside of that, these guys have no experience with him whatsoever. They've never spoken a word to him. They don't know him from Adam, right? They just know he's really good. And that is like an underlay, uh, underlying piece of pressure when you're a recreational who's just trying to put people to big money decisions. That suddenly kind of fucks with you a little bit. Right. It could be dangerous because you don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. Maybe these guys don't talk as much. Maybe these guys are trying a lot harder. And it's not that trying harder is a bad thing, but it's that trying harder comes with slower play, tighter play. Uh, and decreased entertainment value. A hundred percent. Well, so I'm sorry. Uh, you might have already said this too. Like, So what's the difference of the high, like the high stakes poker 
10 years ago and like this lineup here like if you were to put a dot this is like sure. putting a domo in this lineup here like high stakes poker 10 years ago yes okay i think so yeah um i i think what's different now is that the the space is so expanded that uh you don't need to lean on the best of the best and then the amateurs to create a lineup any longer mm -hmm. now you can level it off a lot more and you could just say like well who are the biggest influencers in the space and then who are the people who have the most amount of money in the space mm -hmm. and let's throw them together who could be the most entertaining at that point right yeah so uh, again i think that like largely speaking the incentives behind uh televising poker are a lot uh, basically shining a light on the soft skills creating a fun and gambling environment and you know a lot of us have spoken about this uh, on record even airball was talking about it but once the cameras go off the game is infinitely better of course infinitely better and people Less don't pressure. understand that people really don't understand how much a guy who's losing 20 or 30 big blinds per hundred changes his play to reduce it to maybe only five to ten whenever the cameras are rolling mm -hmm. right like suddenly pre-flop ranges become a thing to this person right and that's ridiculous whenever you have like hundreds of hours off camera with the same guy and it's like you've just seen him show up with two four off in the same spot <laughs> right it's it's really night and day and it's a, a jekyll and hyde type of scenario where uh unfortunately the best most gambling environments that ever exist will never get shown to the public mm -hmm. uh siever was speaking about this yeah where he was saying you know bobby's room is this insane asylum where <laughs> you just have like some of the best in the world uh, on top of the fact that the environment in and of itself is just a circus. Yeah. And all you're trying to do is come up with the best ways to make, <laughs> he called crock out specifically, question their life choices up to this point, right? And like, I've been in those environments uh, to the point where there was, there was a day, uh, I think I talked about this on the pod once in the past, um, I know Eli Lesber kind of called or, or, or kind of spoke to me about it privately a little bit and, and publicly. And I wasn't trying to, to shame the entire group, but uh, there was one player in the game where a uh, person was playing with us and the game was wild. We were playing like one, two, four. Uh, and it was even getting bigger at times, just millions of dollars on the table, uh, eight handed game. And we're just having a fucking party. Okay. Everybody is just having the best time. Like, <laughs> I remember a guy who I think to be like a relative nit just got 90K in pre with tens versus me. And like, you know, just holds twice for Ace King suit, just slamming it down. We're all throwing a fucking party. And behind us it is like, like you're losing. I, I, uh, I swung a lot. I was like up and down 100 yeah. in a given time. I don't remember if I won or lost, to be honest. But right behind us was a limit game, a mixed game. And they were playing like 300, 600. Not the game that that Seaver's talking about. Mm -hmm. That game is a lot more lively and, you know, they, they torture one another. Yeah, but, it's more characters. This, this is more the day game, if you will, the day shift, gotcha. right? And there's one guy in the game, and I, I won't mention his name, but, like, he's just such a cranky old bastard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and every time that we would get loud or we would want to play music in the room or whatever, he would just, like, stand up and throw a fit and, you know, call the floor. Uh, and, you know, it just ended up becoming, like, this weird problem. And it dampened our environment so much that the game nearly broke. So we went from like playing one of the bigger games that I've been involved in in a long time. Having a great time. Having a blast. The money's going in super smooth, super easy. One pair, a thousand big blinds, no fucking problem. Like we're gambling. To all of a sudden, the straddles fall off. We go back to like one, two. Yeah. Person doesn't really want to gamble anymore. Game the game's on the verge of breaking. Yeah. 
And it just turned into this thing where it's just like, what on earth would ever drive you to want to create this tight environment where nobody's having a good time? And it, not that it's a fair comparison because the person I'm talking about is just like Miz. And he's not also, like they're elite. also not at your table, and they're also not having fun at your table. Sure, like your table is blowing up. Well, they're also playing a Minbet game where it's like, how much fucking thinking do you actually need that this noise is bothering you? I mean, they're just in a bad mood. But yeah, of they're course. Not- but but what I'm saying is that uh, when you extrapolate that out, like obviously this guy's just Miz, whatever, it's no big deal. But you extrapolate that out now to where uh, instead of it just being people who are cranky in a bad mood. You instead put like eight high level pros up against one another where it's not even clear who holds the edge. Mm-hmm. Right? There are winners and there are losers in this environment, but like we're talking plus or minus one or two percent ROI either way. And it's really easy with variance to not know which side of that coin you fall on. You're going to get people trying really fucking hard. Yeah. Like it's a lot of thinking and calculating and, you know, being measured and timely and. It's why the game is slow. It's why the game is uh, not necessarily a TV product in its fun form. But instead, it's a production of the best of the best doing the thing that they've spent their entire lives studying. And, you know, they're just two different products, I think, at the end of the day. That's, that's really what it just boils down to. You know, it's like we just don't have... The same products and you just can't expect an elite player to break through and just be the highlight of of the hustler stream yeah. also just the difference of it being streamed versus high stakes uh poker back in the day being a produced television show so there's a lot more mystery as to what's even going on as well as the edited clips and the highlights where there's always action at your fingertips or when you're watching a six-hour stream it's like oh no like, here's this guy again all the time, i kind of right? forgot i yeah. kind of forgot about that part yeah. too mm-hmm. you gotta be on all the time whereas like if you're just doing if you're just like you said it's the uh edited stream then you just have you know maybe you crack a few jokes here and there you, you're you're one way for maybe 10 minutes but they clip it out and it looks like <laughs> to uh yeah. the outliers point dnegs hit justin with a pretty sick ratio and uh <laughs> he said there's not many z- Zero EV players just acting all loosey goosey, and then Daniel put the card player article of him with the ring from yeah. the super yeah. high rollerball. Right, yeah, it says like. Yeah, What's up with that then? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Dnegs is always going to be the guy who tries to bridge the gap between the two, and I think he's, he's capable of doing. He's so. very unique, though, right? Like, yeah. he, people like him don't exist very often in this space. Well, I mean, you know, he's kind of curated by the 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 past twenty year history of poker right the reason he's able to do all those things are the same reasons why bonomo's not and mm-hmm. kind of admitted in that tough talk it's like daniel has largely been propped up by the industry and given a lot of opportunity and financial compensation for being a character and it's like i'm sure if you offered justin you know 10 million over the next five years to become more of a character he'd find it in himself to do so <laughs> right i mean he just did yeah. Right, but those incentives aren't actually there in in current day. Yeah. Right. So Daniel was benefiting off of you know just being who he was for the last twenty years. That gets propagated or, or propped up moving forward, and you know he'll just always be the face of a major company. He'll always be the face of this industry for for the near future anyway. And with that comes a lot of money, which allows you to sacrifice some EV in these tough spots. So it's also just like the cost benefit analysis of where do I want to spend my time, and if it's playing high stakes MPTs and having that win rate. That's worth a lot. Yeah, and yeah. maybe it's worth it's better for you to do that than it is to try to become a live stream guy 
and become a pro in that regard. Yeah. You know, and try to find the enter be entertaining cash game pro. Where if you just want to play MTTs and try to win against the best in the world, that's where you're going to spend most of your time because it's that fucking difficult. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, like, look, at the end of the day, I know that everybody thinks that these uh, super high roller bowl, or sorry, sorry, super high roller uh, player pools are just like these boring vanilla, you know, rando white guys that have nothing intelligent to say or nothing interesting to say or whatever. Like, they, they just, they see them as like chalk or, or as, like, as like robots or cardboard, you know what I mean? But the truth of the matter is, like, if we take that pool of 30, 40, 50 players and we really like peel back a layer or two and just like analyze their characters uh, one by one, their personalities and things like that, these guys have so much more to offer. Then if we look back at the early 2000s version of Matisau and Robert Varconi and Robert Varconi. Jesus Ferguson, it's like, yeah, these guys and Howard Letterer and, you know, Johnny Chan, and all these other, you know, faces from the early 2000s. It's like, yeah, they all had a weird nickname and yeah, they all had some shtick attached to them, but like they were the fucking most whitewashed, boring group that you could ever come across. Like, Matisau was not poor. No, Matisau was no, unhinged, Madisau, obviously. Yeah, but like, my whole point is that like this group is young and intelligent and has a lot of like worldly information and and the ability to uh, be whatever they want to it, be. It's so funny you say this, just because of the what I have here. Because Chewy last week on Sunday went to a like a retirement home place and just played a ten dollar <laughs> tournament. And like he was like just giving some updates of like an FT pick. He's like, I ran a normal bluff on Ken at FT, and he made a completely ludicrous turn call. He's got him fucked when he ripped a pair and I ripped a straight. <laughs> and it's like you're never gonna get to see that when he's playing a super high roller bowl for. Right. 300K, right, 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 of course. Right, but course. when you know these people outside of the game, it's a completely different environment. Yeah, I guess that's what I'm saying is that like the the fact is that the group of of high rollers now are a bunch of kids who grew up in this space and are now coming into their own in their 30s. Whereas like if we look back to the early 2000s, that was only true of like a handful of guys. It was true of like, you know, Dnegs and Ivy and, you know, maybe a few others. But the fact of the matter is the majority of them were like middle aged white guys who moved off of some corporate career because poker was fascinating to them and booming at the time, yeah. right? There was guys like Letterer and uh, Ferguson who had like, you know, tech backgrounds. Uh, th there were a lot of other people who were moving out of, you know, other blue collar type or, or white collar type of jobs rather. And they just found this space and were able to outwit their opponents and do well. They're fucking boring as hell if you look back. Like watch watch some of the early World Series gameplay, you know what I mean? Like these guys were like watching are you paint saying dry. That, are you saying that Fossil Man wasn't a, a very entertaining? No, <laughs> no, not at all. You're not supposed to be, right? Like that's that's what I mean. Like if you think back to those times, I don't I don't even remember Raymer all that well. I remember David Williams. Yeah. Like, I remember his run. He was young and had swag and was like, you know, mouthing off along the way. Like, I, those, those early days of the WSOP, I don't remember all the guys who won bracelets. I remember the fucking crew. Yeah. Who were a bunch of DGens that were just like hamming it up and, you know, trying to make a way. Yeah. Cause when it comes down to it and it, with the character development and the building, some people, it's easier to build that character development around. Right. Where they are the table talker, they do have the drip. You well, know, just youth is going to always reign supreme in this arena. 
right? It's why we're seeing the rise of Mariano and the rise of Ethan, Ethan and the rise of, you know, a lot of these other younger players who took to vlogging in order to bridge the gap between being a small stakes player and wanting high stakes opportunities. It's, you can follow the journey. You know, right. It's like, oh, I knew him when he was small. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, whereas the alternative to that is being a small stakes player who wants to just live in a meritocracy and become a high stakes player, right? And it's like, that exists, but you're going to end up a tournament player and you're going to end up vying for very small ROIs worth a lot of money. And it exists, but at the same time, there's nobody doing your marketing for you. So you kind of have to do it yourself. Right. Well, that's the thing. If you, if you, that's why you end up a tournament player because you don't have to market sure. shit. Sure. If you win, if you win a bunch of tournaments, you go from small stakes to high stakes. So yeah. like relatively you just quickly. need to be good, find some level of backing and then pump out the volume. That's why you don't see that many like high stakes online cash players that people like really, really know about. There's no overt glory in that, but there's people that make a lot of money every year just from playing online cash. And that's what they want to do because they're doing it. If they want it to be more than that, maybe they try to find a way to do so. Yeah. But not and everybody I, I, I wants think, to be in the limelight. I think that's why you see a lot of turnover there too, because um, whether or not it's sustainable is debatable, but whether or not it is uh, desirable to do year over year for 10, 15, 20 years is not really debatable. Name me one. Name me one high stakes cash reg that has lasted 15 years without transitioning either into another industry or into strictly live. Besides you? I didn't play, play online. online. Name me one online cash guy who's existed oh, gotcha, for 10 gotcha, years gotcha. at the high stakes realm. There just aren't any, right? And it's not because they got their money and ran. It's because it, it's an undesirable career path for... It's great in your 20s, maybe even into your early 30s, but like you're not going to spend 20 years doing it. You've already put in your volume. You, under, you already understand the cap. And you understand that like the, the dry repetition of it just becomes too much. And there is no glory. There's no incentive. There's no higher ceiling, right? With live, it's the opposite. If you're good at the soft skills and you do accru uh, accrue wealth, you can continually keep playing higher and higher. You don't get stuck at NL20K where the game only runs a dozen times a year. I mean, maybe a little bit more so now, but like previously, sure. right? Sure. You get to play like, you know, you can play sometimes an 100K, sometimes an a million dollar buy-in. You know what I mean? Like the, these opportunities exist if you're decent at the soft skills and you're just always basically fighting to accrue more wealth so that you have a bigger chunk of yourself whenever you do start playing in those realms, right? It, it kind of is, live has kind of become what Rail Heaven was back in the day online. And instead of Rail Heaven, they're live streams. Yeah. Well, mostly the private world is pretty fucking profitable and pretty sure but there's big. no spectators right right i just mean from like the real heaven people yeah, would yeah, watch yeah. the game and yeah. they'd be able to see some stuff and see showdowns here and there and yep. make some comments about it yeah. or you're never going to be able to see the high the real heaven high stakes live edition because it's just no one's ever going to show you that right you're never going to get a camera in there right so i mean like at the end of the day uh there's a lot of reasons to become the best of the best in this industry at whatever it is that you choose to do. But we need to acknowledge the fact that there are different skill sets that you can become the best of the best at. It's not just about being the toughest six max player, the toughest heads up player, the toughest online cash guy, the toughest high stakes MTT player, right? Those are some of the realms. There's also the guy who is just the best at networking that has, you know, good poker skills. Sometimes that will earn you more in the long run than, than something else. So like, 
it does pay to be the best content creator, the best uh, table talker. There's no blueprint as to how to be the best poker player. There's different little sub, like skill trees, there if you will. There are different characteristics, and there are different ceilings to each one. Have you ever played Borderlands? No. Yeah, well, anyways, in this game, there's different skill trees you can go on based off like, what you want your character to do. Mm -hmm. you know, and, you can't, and you can't max out all of them. So you have to spend your time doing something. If you right. want to be good at live cash, you spend your time playing live cash. Yeah, yeah. You want to play online? Okay, here's your skill tree. This is where your cap is. But you can't really try to do all of it at once and become the greatest, most well-rounded poker professional that ever exists. Right, right, yeah. Those are so rare and few and far between. Yeah. Poker's hard enough as is. You know how hard this game is now? Yeah. You can't win 27 big blinds against Nancy and Nancy's retirement. <laughs> <laughs> in the fucking super high roller bowl. Yeah, I mean, I think the conversation was a fun one to to kind of watch unravel. Uh, I think it's unfortunate that Chris like took a stray here, because um, like of all of all the people in that environment, like he's hardly the easiest one to point to. No, Chris wears his heart in his sleeve, dude. He's been running bad for a couple ye for years. He's yeah. like, dude, I can't fucking win. <laughs> like people love seeing the robot break down, yeah, but then yeah. he rises back. You know, he's got a couple wins this year. No, he's doing great. We're here, we're here to see you win, Chris. Um, but yeah, I mean, like the point I'm trying to make is like, you know, I, I think I think the conversation Dankness was trying to have is uh, a fun one and one that has two sides and he portrays one side of it. I think Chris taking offense to it and saying like, you know, this is kind of bothersome to me. Actually, I work really hard and I'm not afforded the same opportunities as, you know, people who just act like a clown when put into a live environment. I think that's also a very fair rebuttal. And I think like, you know, Bonomo's tough convo kind of ties it all together where it's like, yeah, at the end of the day, like we're still in a, a weird growth phase when it comes to poker multimedia, if you will, right? Like what the public, what, what product we put out to the public, we're still very much in a growth phase. Yeah, we have no idea what we're doing. No, I mean, you know, the, the joke that Nikki's making of like, oh, well, poker Twitter just learned what beefs are. It's kind of like, yeah, I mean, maybe we are kind of just a little bit behind the progression when it comes to. Uh, packaging our product and distributing it to the masses trying to become mainstream media and i think that the reason for that is because for the longest time we just had television doing it for us now that's taken away and we're forced to go the same route as every other fucking industry out there yeah make our own content package it ourselves <laughs> pump it out on youtube the la times wrote an article about garrett because of that hand mm -hmm. yeah. you know this yeah. stuff doesn't happen if we didn't have drama Right. That's just how it works nowadays. If nobody covered that on YouTube, the LA Times doesn't even get wind of it. Of course not. No, right. Never makes it to national news. Never. And for better or for worse, right? I don't know what the ripple effect of that being a national story is. Maybe it's great. Maybe it's awful. Who knows? It just happened. Same thing with Postle, right? If we don't have Joey's 24-7 live streams uncovering the, the Postle cheating scandal or whatever, never makes it to mainstream media. Never gets ESPN coverage. Never gets a Scott Van Pelt. Uh, I can't remember what he calls his tough combos. Fuck, I used to watch him all the time. Um, but anyway, like it never gets that little segment. You know what I mean? It never gets any of this traction. And, and it's crazy to think about. Like all of that is off the back of a guy like Joey who's just pumping out the content 24-7, right? And that's because we're in this weird growth phase where no one's going to do it for us. And we don't know what the fuck we're doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's this like, is where we just start, we just start cooking, you know? Yeah. We just start when I, <laughs> yeah, when I say we don't know what the fuck we're doing, I'm, I'm saying that, you know, kind of tongue-in-cheek in the sense that obviously we all have a vision. We have some idea of, like, what it is that we want to curate and how we want to present it to the masses. But there's no coordination here. There's no greater body overlooking us 
that says like, okay, this is what the poker product is going to be packaged as. Let's all get out there and sell, sell, sell. It kind of makes it fun. Well, yeah. It also kind of makes it like dangerous and, uh, you know, haphazard. And uh, th there's a lot of eggs that are going to be cracked and broken along the way, I think. That is the, That's the train fun part. to success. <laughs> yeah. It's not always going to be a shoot straight to the top, you know? That's that's abundantly true. See, like the next biggest thing that anyone only cares about in poker Twitter, and some people know about prior to that, is you versus Airball Nick. Yeah, you know, yeah. and like maybe there is some sort of spectator standpoint where there is that want to actually see what's going on through using a Poker Go or something along those lines, and then it yeah. becomes a big thing. And part of that, who knows? You're blurring the line between entertainment value and skill. Yeah, and I think like. Uh, I mean, you know, as somebody who's been around a very, very long time, uh, I think like for your generation, you guys don't know what it's like to to have that allure. Like Brian and I could talk about the first times that we came out to Vegas. We would just go to the Bellagio and just like chill near Bobby's room <laughs> and just like see, like you, yeah. you don't get to see any of the hands. You don't get to see any of the shit. You don't get any of the intricate details. You get to see the lineup and you get to see the stakes. You get to see that Antonius is in there playing 1K, 2K. It's just like, fuck, that's... That's the dream, right? Like that's that's what we're trying to work towards. Like we want to be in that room. We want to be in that arena. Yeah, we've really diluted that in the sense of so many high stakes games that are just open to the public to see. Yeah, if every if if that was always accessible to me to watch on TV, it would become. Uh, I don't know if diluted is the right word, but it would, it, it would just become like too commonplace. It seems more common. The allure wouldn't be there anymore. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I would just get to know too much mm -hmm. about the actual characters. And then I would just get to basically sit there and dissect them until I found their fatal flaws. It's almost like, oh, here's another high stakes Friday game. You know? Yeah, when you, human, when you overly humanize people that are otherwise glorified, what ends up happening is they all tend to have fatal flaws that the, the audience is too privy to. And then suddenly we can just interject ourselves and be like, there's no difference between me and him. Right? And you don't really want that when you're selling a hero product. You want there to be heroes. You don't want your heroes to be human. Yeah. Never meet your heroes. <laughs> okay. How many, how many more uh, <laughs> weird? Two is good. Okay. Two is good. That's the cut. All right. I want to talk about one final story before we get out of here. Uh, we were going to lead with this, but just kind of transitioned better into uh, the, the topic of televised poker. But uh, recently at the Irish Poker Open, there was an incident in the final event that I think is probably worthy of getting some uh, attention on. Uh, now, of course, we're only hearing the account from Louise who, uh, who went through the incident, but I think that that's good enough, especially since, you know, there was an opportunity for uh, the staff and uh, the higher-ups at the Irish Poker Open to speak out. And as far as I've seen, I haven't seen any comment or uh, releases. So I'm just going to trust that this is pretty accurate. Uh, I'm not going to read the entire thing. It's, it's, it's uh, three pages. I uh, highly encourage you guys to read it if you have the opportunity to. Um, she posted it on her Facebook and then it's been circulating around Twitter, um, through many, many, many different accounts. But in short, what happened, uh, according to Louise is that they were playing the final event of the Irish poker open. And I guess, uh, a part of dealing the Irish poker open is that the dealers are instructed to not speak. Um, but as they went into the last day, I think a lot of them, you know, probably got a little lax and Louise was carrying on a conversation with the dealer at, at some point. Um, I guess they were on the river in a, in a particular spot and the man to her left slapped her thigh 
which the dealer and she she says hard uh which is i guess worth noting the dealer interprets it as a check all hands check down the guy has the nuts and is you know pretty irate about this uh now obviously him slapping her thigh is strange to say the least but uh in a more important way it's just like crossing boundaries that Absolutely. you just can't cross like right. female or not like touching another player is very weird uh touching another player's thigh is like very 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 out of line um so then he gets like very upset uh she points out that like you know he had all of the other players uh like the the opportunity to stop the action prior to all the other players acting but it seemed like he was waiting for them to act and then to complain kind of thing where it's like almost a free roll angle where uh, you know, he can say, I didn't check after the fourth person checks and it's clear he's not going to make any more money. Otherwise, he gets the check raise. Um, so, you know, the ruling stood. Uh, he started yelling at her uh, and she kind of like looked at him and said, I'm done. And he said, oh, you're done? Well, fuck you. Uh, and she looked at him and said, what did you just say? He said, you said it first. So fuck you. Saying I'm done is the same thing, which is like a crazy that's, interpretation. All right, that's how words work now. Sure. Sure. Uh, the floor comes over, tells him, you know, gives him another warning, says he has to stop. They go back and forth a bunch. Uh, there was another war woman floor person uh, who, I guess, spoke to Louise privately, said he should be out of the tournament now. Um, they go on break, and uh, as the break uh, goes on, I guess the, that table itself broke. They racked his chips and told Louise that he was being removed from the tournament. The woman floor person said that she would make sure of it. Uh... After some time had passed, Louise got a text from one of her friends and said that he was still in the event and was actually just like at the table next to her. Uh, so she calls the female floor person over uh, and the woman says that the boys had a meeting and JP McCain, who is the tournament director, overruled the floor decision. Uh, and I guess the female floor person was asked not to participate in the meeting and she was very upset about it. Um, so now when it's all said and done, Louise confronts, uh, JP, the, the tournament director. And he basically said, uh, you were distracting the dealer. Had the dealer not made a mistake, this would have never happened. Uh, though, uh, this person was obviously out of line for touching you. I think it's a pretty reasonable response for somebody who, uh, had their action misrepresented, I guess, or whatever. Um, misinterpreted. Maybe? Yeah. Misinterpreted. Yeah. Uh, and that the ruling was going to stand. He was going to get to stay in the event. It didn't seem like a fair or equitable outcome to kick him out of the event, um, which to me is ridiculous. Yeah, uh, from my from my vantage point, and I'm looking now. Uh, somebody said that JP actually uh, replied to Kara Scott's tweet, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try to pull that up if I can. But uh, to me, if you're in a position of power, this is a no fucking brainer to set a precedence. Like all you need to hear is that a man touched a woman and she's upset about it. And you just 86, the guy, right? That's it. That's it. This is so simple. Don't complicate things. I don't care if the guy's your friend. I don't care what the other, like just make it easy, man, because there's no world where this is misconstrued. Not close. So I'm, re just, I'm reading his response to, um, looks Kara? like Ella Ella's tweet. Um, okay. And he says, when he was spoken to the guy, he said he tapped Luis's leg when he was involved in a big pop because she was excessively talking to the dealer. 
and then hope their conversation would stop so he can concentrate on the hand. And who cares? Yeah. Just like, I mean, like, that's the thing. Like, who cares? That's what I'm saying. When I say that this can never be misinterpreted as like a slight tap versus a slap or anything in between, it just literally does not matter. The fact is he crossed the line when he, when he just, when he touched her in general. Right, and, right. and well, like just, we're not talking about him like tapping her arm. That'd be right. way different. Right, like yes. if you want to say I was trying to get her attention, right. and I tapped her on the on the arm or on the shoulder, it's like okay, I think now we can reasonably have a discussion here where this could be misconstrued. But it's, uh, okay, so like I'm going through all these tweets, and he's like, he kind of wrote just like re- replying to other people. So he wrote to that story that we had just put up. Hi all. I have reached out to Luis to contact me. This is not a fair and accurate a- account of the conversation I had with Luis. So I'm not sure where their misconnect is. Why why because it just seems like Well, I'm I mean I'm just saying like what what the what does that matter, bro? You have a public forum, like use it. Yeah, I think apparently he was not told that he, the player was touched. That's what I'm getting at. Okay, like, whatever. I, I mean, that seems... Uh, whatever, I mean, that's going to be on him then. Yeah. Right? Unless, like, Louise is completely making up and fabricating a bunch of stuff that would involve a female floor person, a, nut, a secondary floor person, and uh, the tournament director. So, like, this is, like, three points of contact that all could publicly disavow her story that aren't. Right? So, it's just, like... Let's just assume that the person telling the story is probably not lying and just make a very simple judgment call of a guy touched a girl's leg. That's inappropriate. You're out of the tournament. Easy precedent to set. Just very fucking easy. Keep your hands to yourself. Right? Yeah, like not close, not friends, not any sort of like reasonable sort of discourse prior, you know? Right. If, it, if that was the case, it would have been said otherwise, right? It wouldn't be that big of a deal. Right. Okay, like stop. All right, I'm sorry I'm doing this for a third time. So <laughs> I'd like to clarify at no point was there any physical violence to any other any player brought to my attention. Not the the point. rule the ruling was noting nothing was involving the man checking when he didn't check. The lady and the dealer were chatting the whole way through the hand and the man tapped the lady on the leg under the table, hoping that she would realize he was in a big pot and stop and they would stop talking so he can he couldn't because he couldn't concentrate. Sorry. Who this is saying this? This is, this is, this is JP. This is, when he was explaining to the floor what happened, he said he tapped the lady's leg, not the table. The dealer seen him tap the table. Also, the man showed the man showed what he did to the did, ah, what he did to the floor because um, who was standing in between the man and the lady. He tapped the leg again and was told not to do it again. An argument then ensued between the man in question and another man. This is re- the reason for his penalty. When I spoke to Luis there later, there was no mention of her being hit or slapped. I showed her what I was told happened, and she said it was a bit harder than that. There was never any an issue of physical violence toward her brought to my attention from anyone, including Luis, when I spoke. So he's admitting it then, like he's trying. We're reenacting like how much pressure was used when this guy touched your leg. Like just fucking DQ the guy, man. This is so easy. Do your job better. Yeah, just do your job better. This is so fucking easy. He's like using the pressure of like the the hit, like to say like if it's uh, violence or something. Why? 
Right. He touched her. He should not have touched her. That's he it. He also told her to fuck off or fuck right. you or yeah, like whatever. Exactly. It's like, why are we making right. this hard? Right. <laughs> this doesn't have to be this apology no. tour as to, oh, no, but this happened. This wasn't real. Mm -hmm. Relax. Right. Just do your job. Done. Right. Just, just. This one's not hard. Just DQ the guy. We like, can all agree on this one, you know? We can all agree. Right. It's just like, this is. I mean, the thing is, is that like, uh, the the issue is by not doing your job and setting a precedent here, this gets blown. I, I don't want to say out of proportion, but this gets blown way the fuck up, and becomes this you know black eye on the Irish Poker Open on JP as the tournament director, and then on the staff who maybe are not being heard or or you know maybe not able to voice their opinions in the way that they would like, and they're also now blaming Louise for distracting the dealer to begin with, where it's just like. This isn't the way these scenarios play themselves out. If a customer has a complaint that another customer is harassing them in any way, shape, or form, it's not on you as the operator to try to discern what is logical as far as what you consider to be harassment. You just follow the letter of the law. You don't get to be the arbiter of harassment. Right, you Correct. don't I mean you yeah. you 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 can be sure. It's your judgment it's your judgment call at the end of the day. But why put yourself in that position? Sure, I mean if you want to be the arbiter of punishment, now you now here we right, are. Now here we are. Wait, am I wrong that there were no security cameras in this place? I don't know, but like It doesn't matter. I'm right? going to say Kasuf must be having the time of his life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just digging into pots. <laughs> I've been in a lot of situations like that, just working behind behind the bar. Perfect um, example. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, for twenty years, you know, you work graveyard, and there's going to be a lot of situations where sometimes guys can get a little creepy, or you just say anybody? things, or do things um, that are highly inappropriate. And for me, when I was working, I was never trying to like, well, look, this is probably what happened, or let me. <laughs> Let me try to like lighten the blow. It was always just like, no, dude. Hey, listen, you got to go. Right. Like, and they'll they'll try to explain it, and it's just it's real simple, dude. You just have to go. Right. And that's it. Mm -hmm. Right. Did you yeah. ever hit anybody? I've never hit anyone. No. You don't. You don't <laughs> want to now put yourself in this weird power trip spot of becoming the all-seeing eye as to what isn't isn't fair. Right. That you don't get to do that. Right. And this situation is very very black and white. You know, you're not supposed to touch someone if you don't know them. And it's an issue. Like not only that, you just, but you get a feel for the situation. Like for instance, if, I have, if I have a customer who's like, "Hey, look, this guy's being really strange, being really weird. This is a petite person," and sometimes one and one is always two. If you look at the guy's actions um, at the Irish Open, it doesn't sound indicative of someone who probably gave this person like a light little tap, like, "Hey, excuse me, miss. Like, oh, we're in the middle of a big hand." But if he's telling her to fuck off, and right? He's already things, being aggressive. It kind of sounds right. like somebody who may be capable of. Maybe being right. And also, like, uh, also use your words. Like, just speak. Why, why do you have to tap a person? And the 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 real problem with having this conversation and JP having to, you know, arbitrate like what had happened and everything else is that there's a scenario that plays out in the person's mind who has to make the decision of, well, what if this were a man and a man. Would we be having this conversation, right? It's not though. Right. That's that's, that's the end all be all. It's yeah. just it's not. Right? Like, sure, you may have the conversation less often if it's a man and a man, but it's not because the actions were okay. It's because another guy might be less uncomfortable 
with having his leg touched, right? Or might just be less vocal about having his leg touched because of machismo or not wanting to look like a crybaby or whatever label you want to attach that may, uh, you know, question someone's masculinity, right? Or, or threaten their masculinity. So at the end of the day, the, the black and white of it is that the action itself is just punishable. Like it's in your rules. There, there's never going to be a reason why like touching another player is okay. And if a customer is unhappy, you should try to aim to make them happy, especially if this one's easy. Like it's so easy to just set a precedent here. And it's so clear that that was not the desire of the staff. Like we don't want to set this precedent. We literally don't want to. We're, we're shying away from setting this precedent, right? When that happens, you get this kind of fallout. You get this kind of pushback. And you know, I don't know JP from Adam, but he sounds absolutely silly in trying to justify the ruling that he made by working in some sort of nuance of like, the tap wasn't as hard as she implied and she was distracting the dealer and this mistake would have never occurred if the dealer had been doing their job better and the the staff had been abiding by these rules and all this other nonsense. It's like, look, your job is to be a problem solver. It happened, it's not okay, and it's a simple thing to just say, here's the punishment, let's move on. You know, I'm sorry on top of it, and I hope that you have a better experience in the future. We'll do our best to make sure that that happens. This isn't the way, man. Pick your battles. This is not the hill to die on. Right. You know, it's just wild to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement today. Pretty wild. Not a fan of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what to say. Just, how, how are we here in this? <laughs> how are we here right now? Yeah, I mean, like, whatever. It is what it is. Like, I'm not trying to jump on a soapbox over this type of shit, but I do feel pretty awful for for people who have these negative experiences and then it falls on deaf ears, right? It's one thing to have to go through the experience and then it's another thing to get zero support on the other side of it, right? Like, that's the shitty thing. So hopefully uh, JP was listening. Hopefully uh, some sort of compensation will be given to Louise, uh, even if it's just an apology. Uh, I think that that's a pretty reasonable first step um that's gonna do it for us here today we'll be back tomorrow noon again as quote unquote always um i think next week we're actually gonna be coming at you uh, a lot earlier since we have the academy monday and tuesday so we'll probably be coming uh actually what have we done in the past for the academy Nighttime? I think we did night night time. We've either okay. done nighttime or early, yeah. depending on what was is going the right on. Time. I like nighttime. Okay, nighttime pod next week. We'll see you guys uh, tomorrow at noon, and then uh, Monday we'll be popping in the evening. But we get spicy at night. We do get spicy. And then we'll have to have Jenna back on. We'll have to have Jenna back on. Jenna shit herself in our kitchen yesterday. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, Don't forget, tomorrow is the premiere of the Dreamers documentary. We're going to redirect right after the podcast uh, to that page. So go ahead and bookmark it, set up an alert so that you're ready for it. We'll see you guys then. Bye.